Welcome aboard this very special edition of the Bobcast. This is episode 21, the Halloween special. This is a little bit of a bonus episode, and we're going to cover the history of Halloween from ancient times and the origins of Halloween up to the modern day. And I, I promise it's just going to be the interesting, the good parts. I promise. I really, really went out of my way to make sure I didn't get mired down in a bunch of details, like bogged down, so you guys can get on with, you know, th- this will be, um, when if you're listening to this the day it comes out, it'll be Halloween of 2019. That's October 31st, 2019. So I, my whole point is I didn't want to bog you guys down in a bunch of bullshit, you know, so you could carry on with doing beer bongs and your sexy nurse con uh, costume. Couldn't even say, I almost said concert. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe you are at a concert for Halloween. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's say, uh, you know, what, what does Halloween mean to me? Um, Halloween, it, I would say is my second favorite holiday after Christmas. Yes, I do actually like Christmas more than Halloween. I, yeah, I'm, I'm a softie. I, I truly am a little bit of a softie. Now, I, I do think Halloween would be my number one holiday, other than the fact that where I live, I live in Southern California in the San Diego area. Um, the weather here is usually absolute fucking garbage this time of year. It's the worst most hateful time of the year for me weather-wise. October. October is rough. It can be one of the hottest months of the year. So far this year, it has been. It was 95 degrees where I live yesterday. So while I'm looking online at, you know, friends all over the world, especially like maybe in the Midwest and the East Coast, the Northeast, you know, everybody's got jackets and scarves and hoodies and they're like oh look at us at the pumpkin patch like the leaves are all different colors and oh so you know sip it on like warm cider or whatever you people do outside of california i'm not really sure i'm kidding i do know you guys are all weird um you guys are why we have trump by the way i blame you all i'm kidding actually <clears throat> yeah excuse me so yeah it, so seeing that, you know, there's actual like weather in other parts of the country. Well, here the weather in October sucks really fucking bad for me. And every time, every October, I get like a gnarly sinus infection, then bronchitis. One year I got pneumonia from just this stupid, hot, dry, miserable weather. So yeah, enough of me complaining about the weather. That Halloween would be number one other than that, I think, in my book. Because by Christmas time here, it's actually really nice. Like, it rains, it's cool, cold, whatever. It's great. Okay. Yeah, enough. So, it, I love everything about Halloween as far as, like, the imagery goes. Um, the history of it's super interesting to me. I love seeing my kid going trick-or-treating, getting excited about getting dressed up, decorating our house, making everything spooky. Uh, the The one thing about me, though, is... Truly, Halloween, it's special. It is very special. But for me, I am one of those people, okay? Halloween is like it's every day in my environment, typically where I'm sitting right now. You know, it's my garage. I call it the studio. You know, it sounds a little bit more professional, right? But there's, you know, like a paper mummy on the wall, a skeleton there. There's a pumpkin over there. What else we got here? Well... Oh, there's a little trick-or-treat sign, some spooky things my kid drew. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, there's cobwebs I just need to clean. Um, that's not really Halloween-y, but uh, yeah, I mean, every day is Halloween, just like the ministry song says. So that's how I live my life. 
uh, folks. Yeah. Um, so that that's a very that the point I'm making there though is you know I live Halloween every day. Christmas I'm not like that. There's no Christmas tree up every day, etc. Just wanted to make that point real quick. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the origin of the holiday that is Halloween, um, how the early church, the early Christian church, really tried to change and convert what it was initially into a church kind of holiday kind of thing, and how they actually failed pretty miserably when they tried to do that. Uh, we'll get into the early history of the Halloween in the United States. We'll talk a little bit about Hell Night and Devil's Night and all the stuff, you know, throwing eggs and breaking stuff and all that fun, which isn't really fun. I mean, well, the egg part's fun and toilet paper, but actually breaking stuff isn't something I ever did, other than pumpkins, right? Uh, we'll touch on uh, the the history from the 1960s on, you know, the whole razor blades and the apple scare. Uh, we'll get into what Halloween is all about right now, currently in the year 2019, what I believe to be the current state of Halloween, which apparently what I see is um, it's a whole lot of weird sexy costumes and you know bros roaming the streets while their kids trick-or-treat just getting fucking wasted right kind of thing no matter even if it's on like a Tuesday night you know good for them cut loose you know let the spirits roaming around know you're an easy target because you're drunk as shit and that's uh yeah we'll get into that though for sure we will the last thing we'll talk about is going to be, you know, is there an actual uh, occult the activity or, or kind of, is there a special meaning to Halloween for, for, say, like Satanists or actual, you know, witches, you know, people who are witches or however you want to say it, Wiccans is one way you can say that, I suppose. Um, is there, is that, does this day have, Halloween have special meaning? We'll talk about that. That's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, one thing I want to say is, being a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s um the christian you know radio thing was in full swing and they were like don't celebrate halloween the devil worshipers are all out they'll get to your kids if you have a black cat keep it inside because it'll get taken and sacrificed kind of thing and you know, does that really go on huh i don't know well speaking of cats too while we're on the subject uh the featured band on the halloween special is from Los Angeles, a fabulous band by the name of Pussy Cow. And that's P-U dollar sign dollar sign Y cow. I'm paraphrasing with the pronunciation. Pronunciation. Good. Yeah. It looks like I've dipped had one too many uh, you know, poison lace Snickers bars tonight. <laughs> <coughs> Hell yeah. That's right. Uh anyway, Pussy Cow is the band tonight. And the song we're gonna be playing is a live version of a cramps cover they did and that song is human fly so let's talk just a tiny bit about pussy cow but first i am going to wet my whistle in honor of pussy cow uh, cheers joe let me say that okay pussy cow is fronted by vocalist joe dana of los angeles now let me say this about joe i have dealt with you know, I mean, on a, this is this is episode twenty-one, right, of the podcast. I've talked to a few bands, um, done a few things involving dealing with different people, asking questions, doing this and that. 
And I have never, ever, 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 ever in all of this, you know, it's only been about, what, three months or so since I've been doing it? Uh, four months, anyway. Never dealt with anyone easier to deal with than Joe Dana is absolutely a king. of. I'll send him a message on Twitter. Oh, dude, I forgot to ask you this. Can you, can you answer this one more question for me? And like 10 seconds later, he has like what takes me five minutes to read of a reply back to me so god damn joe thank you i mean that really incredible the most prompt and thoughtful guy as far as replying to my questions i've have dealt with i've dealt and i have dealt with some great incredible people joe you got you get the crown um you should wear some sort of tiara because you are the queen of halloween uh i'm just saying you're 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 an ace in my book that's all i meant so Joe Dana, I first met him about ten years ago, I think. Uh, Till we all had a show with Pussy Cow at a place called the Blue Star in L.A., and we didn't make it up there. So apologies to this day, Joe. By the way, so I I talked to him via text, like, "Hey, we're not going to make it, yada yada." Now I've seen him at quite a few of the awesome fests that have happened in San Diego through the years, punk rock bowling a couple times. Uh, saw him one time when we played at the Redwood. A couple years ago, and that I talked about in the Todd Taylor Razor Cake episode of the podcast, so don't need to go into too many details, but he bought me a beer. The fantastic guy, I think. Um, most recently, I saw him, a friend of ours, Melissa, had a birthday party at Garden Amp in Garden Grove, which is in Orange County, California, and Joe was there and bought me another beer. So yeah, great guy. I love talking to him anytime I see him. He's a really cool dude. Um, he does a lot of things for the magazine Razor Cake. He hosts the I Heart Drinking Beer and Listening to Record Nights and, and DJs sometimes. Uh, he hosts the annual Razor Cake Chili Cook-Off. He does some other things. Um, he DJs second Thursday of every month at the Burgundy Room in LA and the first Tuesday of every month at 82 with another fellow by the name of Cash. And they call that night they do at 82 Sex and Violence. And this is why Cash plays the hard stuff. Smooth, suave Joe Dana plays the soft stuff so uh follow joe following joe dana on social media it's kind of an adventure he's a he posts a lot and he posts a lot of very interesting and and uh let me just say he's he's on the deviant side and he's an adventurous guy so i'll leave it at that i would advise you to follow him you will be entertained he's a great guy so there we go uh that's one reason why i wanted to play a pussy cow song we've never played with them Tillwheel hasn't you know the more is the pity, I would say. But they've always interested me for some reason. So now, one reason is I've known for a few years, really just via social media, stuff that Joe would post, that Pussy Cow will occasionally do a Cramps cover show around Halloween. So for this podcast, I really wanted to play a Cramps song. Cramps, Halloween, makes sense, right? Sure, it does to me. Well, okay. If it doesn't to you, too bad. I'm playing the song. Pussy Cow did stop doing the Cramps Halloween shows around 2015. Again, that's sad. I mean, it, it's, I I wish I could have seen one. I hopefully they'll do it at some point, and I'll get my ass up to see them. That would be great, I think, or it'd be great actually if Tillwheel would play one of those. Maybe we could do like a, everybody else does, like a Miss Fats cover set. You know, just, oh, we're all fat. Ha ha ha. Yeah, maybe we could do something like that. Joe, keep that in mind if you're listening. You know, let's see. Let, we'll talk about it. Maybe 2020 is our year. Could be. Now, the song that I'm going to play, I want you to keep in mind, this is a recording of a live show they did at a bar 
or place called Footsies in LA on October 25th of 2014. So I am going to post a YouTube link to a video of the song on the page once the podcast is up uh, on Halloween itself. It's good Halloween viewing. You get to see Joe in all of his glory, uh, high heels and all. He doesn't fuck around with his Lux interior impersonation. It's a good one. So um, that song will be at the end of the podcast, by the way. So let's get the lowdown on Pussy Cow. What does the name Pussy Cow mean? You might be asking yourself that. I knew right when I heard it what it was because I grew up in Southern California in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I mean, I moved here in 1978. And if you watched any TV in the 70s, 80s, or 90s in Southern California, I think even in the early 2000s, maybe, um, chances are good you heard and saw a commercial by Cal Worthington for Worthington Dodge or Worthington Ford. Those are both car dealerships in Long Beach. Okay, and these commercials, you know, they would always start out with, it's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. And then the song starts playing, right? It's no fucking dogs in that commercial. There might have been like one dog in one commercial once, right? It was always like a chimpanzee, an elephant, fuck tiger, you know, like a hippopotamus probably. And Cal like takes off his cowboy hat and jumps in the tank with the hippo. You know, nah, he didn't do that. That dude was actually like a World War II like hero too, I guess. He was like a a bomber pilot or something. I didn't get into his history because that's... We're talking about Halloween, or I'm trying to get to the point where I talk about Halloween. Pardon, pardon me. Um, I will get to it. So, it, it in these commercials, the song would go. He had there's a little ditty, a little song that went with every commercial, and how that song went was "Go see Cal, go see Cal, go see Cal." And I'm not doing it justice for sure, but when you hear it, when you would hear it, it sounds way more like it's saying "Pussy Cow, Pussy Cow, Pussy Cow." Okay. The first time I heard that, we moved, like I said, we moved here in eight, 1978. I was eight years old. I asked my parents, like, oh, I'm hearing this commercial. What's a pussy cow? Is that something I don't know about? And they kind of like looked at me funny and didn't really answer. I said, well, well, I mean, you might not be hearing that right. Oh, well, if I'm not hearing it right, then tell me what it's saying. Otherwise, I'm going to grow up the rest of my life going, pussy cow, pussy cow, pussy cow. Because even once you know it, he's saying, go see cow. The the minute you have the impression that he's saying pussy cow, you will the rest of your life, that's all you're ever going to hear. So, yeah, no good answer from my parents on that one. So, uh, Joe thinks when they, when little kids would hear this song, they would think that Cal Worthington would just, he was just a little bit confused about what kind of animals there actually were in the world. Like, you know, this guy's roaming around going, Oh, you know, Cal Worthington and my dog Spot, you know, hey, Spot, come here. And it's a fucking lion, right? It's like, no, this dude doesn't know jack shit about the animal kingdom whatsoever. Definitely not a, a zoology major. I'll give him that. Um, though the man could sell cars. He's a very successful car dealership owner. Yes, he was. He truly was. So that's the origin of the name Pussy Cow. Um, I like it. It's like one of the best band names ever. Because if you, truly, if you are from Southern California and you hear that name, you probably know what it's referring to. And it's pretty damn funny. So so the band started, Pussy Cow started around 2005. Now, they all the dudes in the band uh, had been regulars at a club in L.A. called Kiss or Kill, with the exception of the drummer at the time. But Dro- Joe had known this drummer since high school. So the original members were Joe Dana on vocals, vocals. 
Jeez, man. Like, I am having a rough time talking tonight. I need to put these, uh, you know, Milky Way down and get to talking. Uh, uh, Joe, da- I'm sorry, Joe Dana on vocals. Uh, Mike Schnee, who is also known as Chisholm Worthington on guitar. Uh, Kevin Flacco Jones on bass. And the original drummer was Danny Palos on drums. Now, the only change to the lineup since the very beginning of Pussy Cow is they now have a new drummer, a different drummer. Um, John Rigowitz, I, I hope I said that right. Rig, yeah, and it, it, they, just call him Riggy. That's what they call him, R-I-G-G-Y, okay? Now, what I want you to do, though, knowing the names of the gentlemen in this band, do yourself a favor. Go on YouTube and do a search for Chisholm Worthington, okay? It's C-H-I-S-S-U-M, then Worthington, W O. W-O-R-T-H-I-N-G-T-O-N. And holy shit, you're going to see some interesting and you might think good stuff. I think it's good stuff. Uh, There's a song he does about taquitos. He's a performer. So, yeah, a song about taquitos. There it is. I just sort that part out for yourself. Extremely entertaining. Uh, Chisholm Worthington, I fell down that rabbit hole hard today for about, I don't know, at least an hour, I would say. So, now, the first show Pussy Cow played, uh, they played an open mic night at the Kibitz Room. And now, the Kibitz Room is a, a little venue that's attached to the legendary Cantor's Delicatessen in L.A. Then they went under a fake name, Street Meat. Now, Joe says he wishes they had kept that name. I can see why it's in it. I, Pussy Cow's a better name, Joe. Trust me. Uh, they went by Street Meat because if they sucked and nobody liked them, they could say, oh, yeah, 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 that band? No, no, that that was our old band. Uh, it was Street Meat was our old band. So, good job, Joe. That's that's good thinking, thinking down the road kind of thing, you know? Eventually, Pussy Cow did get a residency gig at Kiss or Kill, and they opened for bands like the Muffs. Uh, first, they learned a little bit about how to be a band from the people at Kiss or Kill, and they what they told them is, look, you guys need to stop talking as much as you do and play more. So instead of talking forever between every song, play like five songs and talk for a little bit play five more songs and talk a little bit because i guess joe said he would just talk and talk and talk between every song does that sound familiar davy yeah um we learned that lesson till we did learn that lesson a long time ago as well good thank you joe um the uh continuing on with pussy cow they joe says they do have that philosophy still play a few songs then talk don't just blab on the whole time so pussy cow has the following releases out they have a very rare live at KXLU CD. Um, two CDs that were simultaneously released. One's called Ride. The other one is called Drinky Birds. And most recently, they have a 7-inch that is titled A Photograph of the Time We Laughed. As far as touring goes, Joe says he'd like to, even just for like a week or something like that. But they don't have anything planned right now. It's tough for them all to get out of L.A. They all have a lot going on. So um, I asked Joe, here's a question I had for Joe. And I'm going to read you his answer verbatim. Uh, I said, what's the best and the worst part of living in and being in a band in Los Angeles? And here was his answer. The worst part of living and being in a band is in, in L.A. is we lose venues incredibly quickly, and then you have to rebuild all over again. For a band, it is frustrating, but as someone who is older and a music fan, it gets frustrating as well. When the show says... Ask a punk as the address in your in your forties. Uh, yeah, ha ha ha. Yeah, exactly. I get your point, Joe. Exactly. That's kind of fucked. Uh, the best is it's really diverse. Punk isn't one fucking brush out here. 
I've seen rad hardcore bands play with awesome pop-punk pop punk bands. Weirdness can exist out here and kill. One of my favorite bands out here is called the Jukox, and you straight up don't know who is in the band from show to show. And that is pretty rad. Like I do, that was a great answer. I like that. It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, next, I asked my my question that I always ask: best burrito. Where is the best burrito, Joe Dana? Can you tell me? Joe told me Los Angeles is more of a taco town, so you have to choose your burritos carefully. He does like the chili relleno burrito from La Azteca, that's in East LA. And also the chili relleno from Allen Bees, and that's in East LA as well. East LA as well. Now, let me say, the best Mexican food I've ever had in LA was also in East LA. I think it was in like Boyle Heights or something like that. Is that East LA? I think it is. It was somewhere Todd from Razor Cake took us, and that place was really good. I was shocked because normally I don't like LA Mexican food that much, and that's how I judge things, you know. Uh, yeah, it was really, it was a great place. So I, I do have faith in LA that you can find good Mexican food there though. It, what did Joe, you know, the best burrito he's ever had. Where did he get it? San Diego. I am sensing a theme here with this. The best burrito you could buy hands down anywhere in the world apparently is in San Diego. That uh, Joe thinks that El Zarape and that's in normal Heights in San Diego is where he got one of the best burritos he's ever had. And that place is absolutely phenomenal. I agree. Very good. So anyway, Joe, thank you so much. And thank the other fine people in Pussy Cow for letting me play this song on the podcast and talking about you guys a little bit. You know, I'll link all your good stuff like Bandcamp and all that on the webpage. I really, really appreciate it. My suggestion is, you know, follow the link on my webpage or however you want to get to where you can listen to music. There's a song called that they have called Straight Edge Wedding because, goddamn, that is one of the funniest songs I've ever heard. It's actually a great song, music quality-wise and lyrics-wise. It's hilarious. A party in my pocket is kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, why don't we get down to the actual business of talking about Halloween here? What do you say? We're 20 minutes in, and I haven't even started. Well, I have, but uh, let's get to it. So what is exa- what exactly does the word Halloween mean? What's the origin of the word Halloween? What's the definition of it? Let me tell you. Halloween, the word in in the modern form, uh, dates to about 1745, and it's a blending of the Scottish words All all Hallows Eve. In the Scottish dialect, Eve would be said even, E-V-E-N, and that gets shortened to E-E-N. So E-N, it gets shortened from Well, it goes from Eve to even to Eve. Interesting. Scottish people are weird. My name is Mac Pearson, by the way. So, yeah, they are weird. Shortened even more, All Hallows Eve or, you know, Halloween becomes Halloween somehow. Now, why is Halloween called All Hallows Eve? What is All Hallows Day? It's the Eve before day, right? Yeah, it is. All Hallows Day is All Saints Day, or the Feast of All Saints, a day the early church set as a festival to honor the saints. And it was especially set up to replace the Celtic holiday or festival of Samhain, or it looks like Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Some people say it's Samhain, some people say it's Samhain. For simplicity's sake, I'm just going to say Samhain, okay? Easy enough. Samhain dates back to about the 8th century, or I'm sorry, actually, 
the replacement of um, Samhain with the Feast of All Saints dates back to about the eighth century. It's kind of there's conflicting interest information on this, which is kind of weird. Eh for the sake of uniformity and not getting completely fucking mired down in stupid little details, we're just going to consider the origin of Halloween based on the early church in what is now Great Britain, you know, Ireland, especially in Scotland, um, trying to replace the pagan holiday of Samhain with a more Christian holiday festival feast kind of thing. So what was Samhain exactly? Now, Samhain marked the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter. And it also, on on Samhain, the boundary between, between our world and the spirit world was thinner than it normally is. So what do you do on a night like that? Well, fuck, you have a party, right? I mean, spirits, come on down. Let's, let's hang, bros. Woo. Yeah, I have the mead. What do you guys got? You guys are bringing the spirits. <laughs> oh, 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 that was bad even for me. <clears throat> dad joke alert yeah so the spirits and or like fairies they were considered as well you know i mean there's a kind of more detail on that i'm not going to get into here but they could more easily come into our world and were said to be very active on the night of so sometime around uh october 31st number first is when they think so took place um the thought was that these spirits needed to be appeased in order for the people and their livestock to survive the winter. They needed to keep the spirits and the fairies happy, right? Or they'd severely mess with them. So people would leave offerings out for the spirits. They'd leave food and drinks, uh, portions of their crops. It was also said then that the souls of the dead were out and about trying to revisit their former homes. So people would set a place for the dead at their tables and by the fires where they would hang out at night communally um, after these appeasing rituals it was time to party after they would leave the food out and after they would kind of you know set all this stuff up so that the spirits and the souls of their dead ancestors could come down and hang out they would start to party so they'd eat and drink and light a giant goddamn fire huge bonfire and play games they play like divination types of games trying to foretell the future, trying to see who you're going to marry, that kind of thing. And that actually carried through the who you're going to marry kind of thing uh, for girls, the unmarried girls especially, well, obviously, uh, would carry through up until the 20th century. So, yeah, that's that. we'll get to that. You know, obviously, I say that a lot. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I should just record a podcast, and that's all I'm going to say is we'll get to that. Welcome to Episode 99 of the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. We'll get to that. Thanks for listening. Yeah, anyways. Uh, so, yeah, so partying, games, etc. Uh, bobbing for apples is an example of a game that has also survived from those days. They would do, they would bob for apples at Sawen back in ancient Britain. So, uh, at the bonfire, they do more rituals, possibly sacrifices of livestock by the druids who were the spiritual leaders of the communities, and they do other fun stuff. So, one thing they think the bonfire symbolizes... Uh, it was meant to mimic the sun and help drive away the darkness and the symbolically, right? And big fires, you know, you light a big fire, well, it lights up the night, right? So these people weren't stupid. I mean, they had a, some good ideas. Let's drive the darkness away, get shit-faced, and, um, you know, have a party. So cool. All right. Nothing wrong with that, right? So 
at some point in in time, um, I believe it was even after the the more or less Christianization or the you know becoming um, like All Hallows Eve and then All Hallows Day in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and the Isle of Man, people would partake in what they called guising and mumming. Now that means basically disguising yourself and going house to house. And you would sing and you would recite certain verses and ask for food. Um, it was thought that the people that were doing the mumming and the, the guising were disguising. Hmm, you see where that is? All right. Guising, disguising. Okay. They were disguising themselves um, and also impersonating the spirits and accepting food on the spirits' behalf. So they were disguising, they were disguising themselves as spirits and taking food and, and treats uh, on the behalf of the spirits who they were supposed to be impersonating, right? And that's that, uh, yeah, hmm, let's see where this is. This is interesting, right? It was also believed that wearing a disguise or dressing up as one of the spirits would protect you from the spirits. The thought was, well, I'll dress up like a spirit or a fairy or whatever, and they're not going to mess with me because they're going to think I'm one of them, right? Yeah, makes sense. Um, there was also the thought, if you dressed up like a spirit or like a ghost or something like that, that one of the things, one of the reasons why the souls of the dead would come back on on Halloween or so, night, you know, what had was becoming Halloween night, was they were seeking revenge for specific things that were done to them in life. So they were coming back and they were looking for somebody in particular. So if you dressed up like the spirit of a dead person you know, made yourself look like ghostly or whatever, they wouldn't mess with you because they're like, oh, no, he's not. That's not Bob, you know, the guy who stole $5 from me or whatever. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll let him go. Uh-huh. You know, oh, it's me. I'm Bob. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just wearing a mask. Oh, shit, I told him. Yeah. So that's that's one reason why they did that. So, okay, now also note, note a couple things. In Ireland... It was good luck to give out food to the disguised people. So if you gave people that came guising and mumming to your house, if you gave them food, it was considered good luck. If you did not, it was considered bad luck. In Scotland, uh, youths would go door to door wearing masks or disguise, and they would threaten you and say, if you don't give us food, if you don't give us drink or whatever, uh, we are going to do mischief on you. Hmm. That sounds... A lot like something we're getting to here. However, there was another similar practice that also went on, and it was called souling. And that was a Christian practice, okay? People, normally beggars or little kids, would go house to house and ask for what they called soul cakes. And these are these specially baked little cakes. They mark a cross on them. Eventually, they became hot cross buns in a way. So you give them these cakes like feed these poor beggars and these little kids in exchange for praying for the dead souls of the family of whatever house these these kids or beggars were visiting. So sometimes they would also leave the soul cakes out, just leave them out for dead souls to wander by and eat, more or less. Do you see where this is kind of going? That sounds an awful lot like the origins of trick-or-treating to me, right? Well, it is. So there you go. Now, what about jack-o'-lanterns? Another big Halloween tradition that we have to this day, right? That's a very ancient tradition, by the way. Not as ancient as Sawen, but it's pretty old. So, jack-o'-lanterns first began as carved turnips. People, when they were going out souling, 
would carry these little hollowed out turnips and put like a stump of a candle inside of them. Sometimes they would carve like the image of a face on them. These are truly fucking terrifying. If you look, well, I'm going to post a picture of one on the webpage for this for sure. But just look online for like jack-o'-lantern, like Google jack-o'-lantern image. There you go. Boom. Like these weird, they look like shrunken heads. They're creepy as shit. So, uh, yeah. Now, one thing the, the these little car turnips might have symbolized were the souls of the dead and the people out doing the souling who were carrying these little jack-o'-lanterns were literally like caring for them like they were like holding these souls in their hands more or less it was a very symbolic thing now in the 18th century and onward pranksters in ireland and scotland would carry these creepy little monstrous looking carved turnips when they're out and about causing mischief and it seems like you know the only spirits are out doing bad things in all actuality on on halloween were these little jerks carrying these creepy little carved turnip things so um, you know they did um they carved them to resemble the spirits sometimes, but just this is another point too. They were also used to ward off evil spirits. So what you would do, you would carve this little face onto this turnip, hollowed out, put a light in it, put it outside in front of your house, like say on the hedge in front of your house or on your stoop or whatever. So and they were scary looking, right? So if a spirit came to your house, they'd see this thing and go, "Oh fuck this, I'm out of here." Same thing with people. If people came to your house to like mess with you to trick you if you didn't give them food or whatever they'd see that and go oh dude there's like a miniature head in this like hedge like get the fuck out man boom out gone yeah interesting uh turnips turnips are little tiny little things too isn't that weird that's pretty weird so the the um the jack-o'-lantern what does jack-o'-lantern mean so um jack-o'-lantern means basically jack of the lantern Jack, it might refer to a guy, and his name was Jack, who, it, there's a story about him. At one point, he tricked the devil or Satan into not taking his soul. Like, if I die, you can't take my soul, and he did this thing where he tricked him out of it. Uh, so Jack dies after a lifetime of drinking and partying and having a good time, and he gets denied entry into heaven when he goes to the pearly gates, Right. So Satan, you know, being apparently like a being of his words, says that you can't come into hell. I promise I wouldn't take your soul. Apparently Satan is a, yeah, he's, he's a, he's on the up, he's solid, right? I mean, he's, a, he is a being of his words, like I said. So now Jack, this fine Jack fellow, is forced to wander the earth for eternity, carrying only a hollowed out turnip for a lantern to light his way. Now, keep in mind, too, in that, you know, in those days, in that form of English, Jack was also used to address any male person, especially somebody of low social stature. Like, hey, Jack, you know, fucking clean my poop up that I just did on this sidewalk right here because sewage wasn't the best back then, apparently. Um, the other thing, it, Jack, the word was also used to describe several different inanimate objects. So, you know, like... Um, a fiery Jack. Have you ever heard of that toy doll toy, uh, toy dolls song? It's about like a back cream or a muscle ache reliever cream. I don't think it's named after a guy named Jack, but you get the point. So yeah, Jack O'Lantern means Jack of the Lantern, and it's this poor soul who's doomed to wander the earth for eternity. Happy Halloween. All right, let's talk about Halloween as it comes to 
the Americas, specifically North America. Now, originally, uh, the first people here in, in what is now the United States in North America, uh, they didn't celebrate Halloween. They didn't celebrate Christmas. They didn't do shit because they were horrible fucking people. The Puritans. Yes, the Puritans, some of the worst people in history. The Puritans apparently also did not like women because uh, Salem witch trials anyone? Well, there you go. So, yeah, the United States was off to a great start with these assholes for sure. So it wasn't really until um, there was a mash, uh, ma- mash, yeah, monster mash. Haha, happy Halloween. Uh, it wasn't until there was kind of a mass exodus of Scottish and Irish immigrants to North America in the 19th century that we start to see Halloween becoming more or less um, a, a real holiday or, or a celebrated holiday. Um, initially, Halloween was only celebrated in Scottish and Irish communities. Uh, gradually, the holiday was assimilated into mainstream society you know, by the first decade of the 20th century, it was pretty much celebrated by everyone in North America, more or less, or actually, you know, Canada and the United States, not so much Mexico. Mexico had some slightly different traditions we're not really going to get into right now. So now uh, let's note here too, this is important as far as jack-o'-lanterns go, uh, they switched from turnips to pumpkins. Well, as a matter of availability, really, the pumpkin is a native to North America. And is much, much, much easier to carve than a turnip. So, hence, you know, turnips were very common um, where the jack-o'-lantern came from. United States, pumpkins were all over the place, especially in the Northeast. Much easier to carve. Problem solved, man. A lot bigger, harder to carry as a lantern around, I imagine. But whatever, that's fine. And the other thing about pumpkins were... They were already in use in North America as a symbol of the harvest season because that's when they usually come uh, when they finish growing, when they're ready for harvest is sometime like late October, early November, something like that. So it was already there. It was very convenient, very easy. So, yeah, cool. That's how the pumpkin became a jack-o'-lantern. Uh, trick-or-treating in the United States, or actually, I'm sorry, in North America, makes its first appearance in 1911. As far as it was reported in a newspaper, a newspaper in Kingston, Ontario, in Canada, reported children guising around a neighborhood, which that's basically trick-or-treating, disguised, going door-to-door asking for stuff. Now, the first time the words trick-or-treating was actually used in print was in the Blackie Herald, and that was in a city called Blackie in Alberta, Canada, and that was in 1927. Uh, Trick-or-treating really didn't become widespread in the United States until the 1930s. And the first known appearance of the term in print was in 1934. So, you know, we talked about trick-or-treating before from the guising and mumming and souling and all that. But what is trick-or-treating exactly as we know it today? Let's answer that for you poor Jehovah's Witnesses that never have had any fun in your entire life, apparently. Um, Trick-or-treating is when you go door-to-door from house-to-house in your neighborhood or some neighborhood in a normally dressed in a costume walk up to the door, knock or ring the doorbell and say, trick or treat, and they'll give you free shit. Free shit for just saying a couple words and dressing up like, you know, whatever. Um, there are costumes throughout the ages. I don't have actually a witty uh, comment or remark for that. I apologize. I'll come up with something later. Trust me. That we're, I'm, I'm still going here. So uh, so what are, what are the implications of the words in trick or treat? Now, trick means unless you give me a treat. 
I'm going to trick you by fucking your house up. Haha. <laughs> Eggs or toilet paper or whatever. You know, treat, obviously, duh, means uh, give me candy. So you have your choice. I can either fucking come back later and toilet paper and or egg your house, or you can give me some candy or something good right now, and I'll leave you alone. I'll put you on my checklist, and you're cool. That's how we did it when I was a little kid, by the way. Don't tell anybody, but there were a lot of eggs thrown and toilet paper rolls wasted when I was a child. Yes, by the shitty people who did not pass out Halloween candy. Note that if you're one of those people, stop stock up on candy. Because I would love to unleash the minions of toilet paper throwing uh, teenagers on your house. I would. I would. Because you're a dick if you don't pass out candy. You are. You are. Don't be so greedy. You know? Okay. Um, that's going to lead us to the next part of our little podcast. And that is uh, Devil's Night, Hell Night. And it's some of the bad things that have happened throughout history on Halloween. Or more of a modern history. Modern part of the history of Halloween. In the 1920s and the 1930s. In the United States and North America, Halloween was largely a community-centered holiday. So there'd be like small parades and like there'd be a, the town would have like a party, that kind of thing. Uh, trick-or-treating was a little popular, but not nearly a big, as big of a deal as it is today for sure. So what the older kids do? You know, all the kids are out like trick-or-treating, the little ones. Um, parents are at a party, you know, kind of thing, community party. What the older kids do? They went out and fucked shit up. They did. They would go if in rural areas, if you farming areas, they'd go while you were away at this party or sleeping maybe. They'd go take your whole tractor apart and reassemble it on the roof of your barn. Uh, they'd break your windows. They'd set fire to your trash cans. They'd throw eggs at your house, throw stinking rotten vegetables all over your property and house. Some pretty nasty stuff. So at one point it got so bad especially in kind of smaller towns, smaller communities, that the leaders of the town get together and they're like, what the fuck, what do we do? We have to find a way of distracting these people that are causing trouble on Halloween. So they'd have, they'd have dances with like bands playing. They'd make the parties bigger. Everybody in town would go. They wouldn't do trick-or-treating. No, no, bring your kids here. They'll get candy here. So they, it was really a thing um, where they were distracting these kind of older kids from going out and just fucking destroying the town, right? And it worked. It totally worked. By the 1950s, the problem was pretty much solved in most of America, in most of the United States, I should say. Well, except for uh, Devil's Night, which is October 30th in Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, United States of America. Uh, this one's kind of gnarly a little bit. Um, Devil's Night occurred in Detroit mostly from the 1970s up until the 1990s. And it kind of started out in the 1940s with minor stuff. And this is, keep in mind, this is October 30th, the night before Halloween. They would, you know, the people would go out and kind of do minor stuff, egging toilet papers. They'd, you know, soap your windows so you couldn't see out of your windows, that kind of thing. Not a big deal. But by the 1970s, Devil Night graduated up to burning shit down like trying to light your fucking house on fire while you're in it kind of thing like really bad shit uh example in 1984 over 800 fires were set in detroit within the three days prior to halloween jesus christ like dude they take that shit serious that's gnarly right in 1994 the mayor of detroit at the time dennis archer um one of his campaign promises was I'm going to promise to end the arsons that happen on Devil's Night. So 
big promise, Mayor. Well, he came through. In 1995, the city of Detroit organized and created what was called Angels Night, which is pretty much like a very serious neighborhood watch situation. Uh, On October 29th to the 31st that year, in Detroit, around 50,000 volunteers patrolled the city and slowly but surely the arson declined. So by by last year, as of 2018, the city was able to end formal support of Angels Night. Uh, instead, they would focus their attention on actual city-sponsored Halloween parties, giant Halloween parties, right? Now, one thing to note, why do they say it ended? Well, in 2018, there were only five fires on Devil's Night on October 30th in Detroit. So the, that's kind of proof when people come to a common cause and common solution, communities can fix their problems. Because I don't endorse that somebody trying to burn your house down. That's fucked up, man. Like, no, no, no. Don't don't go burn things. You know, haha, fine, eggs, toilet paper, whatever. Go for it. I it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. It's cleanable. It's kind of funny actually to me because I did it and I had a great time doing it. I thought it was hilarious. Until it happened in my house and I wasn't stoked about it. But I I got over it real quick. Yeah, don't burn shit down on Halloween. So there is, that's kind of proof that when a community comes together, they can accomplish good and solve and fix problems and make everybody's lives better. So boom, there you go. PSA of the podcast right there. Thank you. Happy Halloween again. Now, there were also several other uh, mischief nights all throughout North America, and it's usually on or before Halloween, um, more or less. It's just kind of the older kids out fucking around. Not as serious as what would happen in Detroit on Devil's Night, for sure, but, yeah, they go smash, kids will smash windows and do some stupid shit. You know what? I'm just going to say this. Just stay off my lawn. Don't fuck with my house. You know, don't fuck with anybody's house. Like I said, eggs, toilet paper, that kind of thing. That's okay. Okay. Thank you. My point now. This is a part that's actually, this is my favorite part of this, and it's kind of grim and slightly morbid, but again, happy Halloween. Uh, Oh, I guess the podcast just started with me burping. Um, Yeah, it's Halloween. I have, there's a lot of black cats I have to go try and find for the uh, sacrifice. My coven's meeting later um, that we had, yeah, so I'm not drinking or anything, uh, yeah, it's uh, in from the 1960s and on. Do you remember the poison candy and the razor blade and the apple scares? Let's talk about that a little bit. This is my favorite part of this podcast, as far as what I've got in mind and what I'm doing here, because uh, it's really, really interesting. There's some some things you're going to learn here for sure. I sure did. Now, do you remember, like, hey, look at your candy. Check your candy really close before you eat it. You know, don't eat any apples. Um, there were ads on, used to be ads on TV, like don't eat anything, any kind of homemade treats or apples or candy that had like torn wrappers or appeared tampered with. That's a pretty big deal when you're a little kid. Like I remember being a little kid, seeing commercials like, like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't go trick or treating. I could die. Oh no, fuck. No, that's, that house has M&Ms. I remember them from last year. Yeah. Yeah. I still got to go. Right. So, it, but it did put that thought of caution in your mind which to a little kid isn't much, but it was something. Uh, but I, another thing I wanted to say, I remember that when I was a kid in uh, New Jersey, you know, say like six or seven or something, going house to house. We lived in a fairly small neighborhood. We knew most of our neighbors. So I remember going 
like getting homemade like popcorn balls and rice crispy treats that people would bake and you know um fucking the box of raisins that I'd throw in the trash when nobody was looking kind of thing. So yeah, I mean I remember getting like handmade home goods. That was like in the mid to late 70s more or less. So yeah, it, it wasn't it was kind of right in the midst of all these scares. A little prior to it, the big scares didn't kind of come out till the 80s, but we're we're getting there. Um I I actually would eat like the popcorn balls. I'm still here. Who doesn't like a good popcorn ball? They're delicious. It's been a while. I should pr- try and figure out how to make those. Those were actually really good. Now, the popcorn balls and rice crispy treats, that, that's what the cheap people would give you, right? But you got to give them this. They were industrious because who's going to sit around and make like 50 to 100 popcorn balls? That seems like a lot of work. You could have just gone and bought some candy and it would have saved you money. But no, no, you know how some people are like... You know, fucking, you know, I saved, uh, oh, wait a minute. No, I spent 25 cents more per, you know, 10 of these than I would have for a bag of fucking, yeah, I fucked up and I wasted my whole day doing this. Yeah, that those kind of people. That's who I'm talking about here. I do remember also, this is, this is um, important. I got an apple one year from somebody. My dad saw it because they would make me dump my candy out on the table so they could check it. My parents would. Um, my dad saw it and just fucking threw it in the trash. So now you're not eating that. I was like, okay, cool. I don't want an apple anyway. It's gonna. Um, by the way, can I have one of those three musketeers right over there, Dad? Before I go to bed tonight. Like, okay, thanks, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, now here's my question though. You know, there was a big scare: app, razor blades and apples. How the fuck do you get a razor blade into an apple without it being like super obvious? I mean, you, you say you're a little kid, right? And you walk up to somebody's door. They're all here, kid. Here's an apple. Oh, thank you. Do you just go? Oh, fuck! I want this apple right now. I'm, so, you know, you got a bag full of, like chocolate candy, great candy, right? Oh, I'm hungry. I want this apple. No, no. Do you think the kid's gonna bite out of that apple right then and there? I would think when they get home, even a stupid little kid would see, like, you. Sh- no, I shouldn't eat this. There's like a hole, a giant hole in the side of it, right? I don't know. I think it'd be hard to pass off. But then again, I guess kids aren't really that known for being cautious and smart in situations that require judgment, right? Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, now, um, we're touching on on the apples and, and the poison candy. Let's talk about the poison candy stuff a little bit. Uh, there is some truth to that about the poison candy. And here it is. Uh, most reports of Halloween candy that had been poisoned or tampered with were either exaggerated or just straight up lies. But there were a couple cases of actual poison candy being given out on Halloween. Now, sort of, here, here we go. Uh, there was a lady in 1964, a woman named Helen of File of New York State. She was arrested for passing out ant poison and dog biscuit, biscuits to trick-or-treaters. Ant poison and dog biscuits, yes. Uh, good old Helen Field of New York, you were not a very nice person. When she was questioned about why she did it, she said she would only give those things out to the bad kids um, who she felt were too old to be out trick-or-treating. So not only is she not nice, she's also very judgmental. So good for you. Uh, the cops didn't think that it was funny. She thought it was hilarious, apparently. Cops didn't think it was funny. Um or legal, so yeah, they fuck, they arrested her. Good, I'm glad they did, because what a what a shitty person she was, right? 
Wow. <clears throat> now, uh, nobody, and uh, note this, nobody actually got poisoned by her. She'd hand them this shit and laugh at them. Like, ha-ha, here you go, you schmuck. And they're like, man, fuck you, lady. What's this ant poison bullshit? I hope a couple kids, like, fucking threw it at her as they walked away. Hopefully. Uh, in 1974, a Texas man, Ronald O'Brien, gave cyanide-laced pixie sticks to five children, including his own son, eight-year-old Timothy. Now, Timothy later died after ingesting the poison candy. The other kids, and there was also his daughter, was in that batch of five kids. They didn't touch the candy, and they were okay. So, yeah, poor guy poisoned his own kid. Uh, turns out, so Brian Guy had recently taken out a life insurance policy on his own kids and decided... Well, death by Halloween candy would look really great and be the perfect crime to the insurance, right? Eh, it wasn't. Uh, Mr. Ronald O'Brien was executed by lethal injection in the state of Texas in 1984. And good job. Uh, you will probably won't hear me say this again. Maybe you will. I doubt it. Good job, Texas, because fuck that guy. What a piece of shit. Yeah, so he didn't... Now, here's the thing. He didn't really give the poison candy out to trick-or-treaters in general. It was just his son and daughter, and some of their friends, okay? So, yeah. Uh, it was kind of a coincidental thing in some ways, right? Okay. But, now, this O'Brien case was a huge, huge deal as far, far as perpetuating the Halloween candy being poisoned by mean and nasty and sadistic people, right? It put the thought in a lot of parents' heads that Halloween could kill their kids. So it made people super, super cautious and scared and leery of Halloween. Um, you couple that with the the Tylenol poisoning that happened in the, the 1980s. Do you, any of you remember that? Any of you old enough like me to remember that? Yeah, that was bad. Seven people died um, from somebody that poisoned a Tylenol pain reliever. The, now, keep in mind, the bottles weren't sealed or anything like that or tamper-proof. They were just, you know, you unscrew it and pop as many of those as you wanted to get rid of your hangover. Well, after that, they became tamper-proof, sealed. If the seal was broken, they told you, take the bottle back to the store or throw it away. Do not use it, right? Because it might have been tampered with. So here you have this O'Brien guy poisoning his kids and some of their friends are trying to. Um, and then you have seven people dying from, you know, basically aspirin or ibuprofen, whatever it was. It was Tylenol, the brand. I don't know exactly what it was. Um. Seven people die just completely randomly from that. And that's kind of a recipe for a very fearful and paranoid way of thinking. Now, you know, you got to know the Tylenol, Tylenol poisonings did not have anything to do with Halloween whatsoever. Now, here's another interesting thing is that there have been several cases of kids dying shortly after trick-or-treating and after they had eaten some of their candy that were initially blamed by the media and the parents and everything on the candy itself. Um, in a couple of the cases, the candy got tested after these poor kids died. And there, would, there was an indication, this is like two cases that I was reading about. The, the tests indicated that there were cocaine, there was cocaine on the candy. And the press got a hold of it and ran with it and the parents and everybody, oh my God, holy shit. Well, no, they fucked the tests up. There were no cocaine. There was no cocaine in any Halloween candy, you know, that I know of that caused these kids to die. It was always something else, like they had a heart murmur or some other issue that caused them to die. It was totally unrelated and horrible, horrible timing, right? 
Um, sadly, though, there was a case of a little boy. Now, um, this little boy is five-year-old Kevin Toston of Detroit, Michigan, and he died of a heroin overdose on November 2nd of 1970 after eating some Halloween candy. So they tested his candy, and they found traces of heroin on the candy. Uh, okay, well, it turns out the kid had gotten into his uncle's heroin stash and poisoned himself, okay? Then this kid's shining example of humanity's family, um, to absolve the uncle of any kind of blame for his death, took the uncle's heroin and sprinkled it on his Halloween candy so when authorities would confiscate the candy, which they knew was going to happen since the poisoning thing was such like a mindset back then, they knew the cops were going to come take the candy. Um, They put it all over fucking heroin all over his candy. Uh, Yeah. Well, guess what? You know, they, he still, the uncle still got fucking caught. They sorted it out. You know, there was no other heroin on anybody else's candy where this kid had gotten his candy. So guess where it had to come from? This fucking house. And I'm sure they were all junky pieces of shit. It sounds like the poor goddamn kid, man. Yeah. Here's to you, Kevin Tostin. I'm, very sorry for what happened to you like in your life that's horrible man i wish you had had a better life kid i really do i really do it makes me sad uh, now okay what about the razor blades and the apples did you are you ever going to get around to that point bob me i'm speaking to myself by the way yes i am and right now thank you there is this in uh, minneapolis in the year 2000 a guy by the name of james joseph smith was charged with adulterating a substance with intent to cause death, harm, or illness after it was determined that he inserted needles into Snickers bars and gave them out to trick-or-treaters. What a fucking hell of a guy he was, huh? His son of a bitch. Uh, Yeah, a 14-year-old boy was pricked by a needle when he took a bite of the unusually pointy and sticky uh, Snickers bar, but he was otherwise uninjured. So, yeah, Jesus Christ, pins it, ooh. That's gnarly, right? That I could see you hiding. Like, yeah, if you're careful, you could hide those. And that's, oh, that's just sucks. Nobody's going to die from that, I don't think. Because you would notice it after you bit it. But still, fuck, goddamn. Um, razor blades and apples, though? Yes, it did happen. But, but, it was normally the kid playing a prank on his parents or just trying to be a little asshole who would shove a razor blade into an apple he got while he was trick-or-treating, going up to his parents saying, look what I found. And there'd be a bite, and then you could see a razor blade. Because he'd take a bite of it, then shove the razor blade in there. Look, Mom, look, Dad. And they were the kid was just being a shithead. So, interesting note, though. Uh, New Jersey, my home state. Again, New Jersey, misfits home state, my home state. Generally, kind of a interesting and uh, possibly fucked up place. Uh, actually passed a law in 1968 mandating prison terms for anyone who was caught booby-trapping apples. There were 26 cases, 26 scares of razor blades being found in apples in New Jersey before they passed this law. I could not find any legit cases where it actually went, somebody went to jail for it, anything like that, but 26 cases where it was reported to the authorities. And keep in mind, too, uh, apples are big in New Jersey, um, you know, apples are huge and Jersey does have one good thing and it is damn good apples and good apple cider. So note that, uh, the fear of like razor blades or whatever, some kind of messed up stuff in your trick or treating candy, your loot, 
was so bad at one point that hospitals would x-ray your candy for free. Does that say anything to you? Yeah, that's pretty gnarly. Also, do you remember, do you, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, you know, those shitty dentists that would offer to trade you all, hey, come bring your Halloween candy in and you'll get a free checkup. Well, what the fuck kind of deal was that? That's like the shittiest deal of all time. Unhappy Halloween to you, sir, dentist. Fuck yourself. You dummy, you, you know you'll get more business if the kids eat the candy. Let them have their fun, you giant prick. Probably Jehovah's Witnesses, I guarantee it. Those fucking people don't know what fun is, dude. I swear to God. Like, they don't celebrate shit. Oh, look, you know, hey, it's um, it's fucking Flag Day. Oh, yeah, we can't do anything with that. Hey, it's um, it's Arbor Day. Oh, fuck, oh, yeah, we hate trees, too. What kind of fucking fucked up religion is that, dude? Like, Christmas? You guys like Jesus, right? Well, not really. And no, we, no, no Christmas. We don't like being nice to other people or giving people presents. We just like to sit and talk about whatever it is the fuck. Because I've never given them a chance to talk to me. The second they walk up, I say, not interested. Go away. Don't walk on my property. Get the fuck out of here. You know, I don't care that they're human beings. They're fucking like this. I don't know what they are. Anyways, Jehovah's Witnesses, fuck, fuck it. Um, yeah, so these dentists were probably just Jehovah's Witnesses, is my thought. Um, and I did want to say this, too. Adults can ruin everything for kids, and fuck adults that do that. So now we're we're in the home stretch. We really are. Uh, bear with me. We're, we're soon to be done here. So wh- what's Halloween all about these days in the year 2019? What is Halloween all about? Uh, well, I, one thing is sexy everything costumes. Uh, huge parties for adults, for sure. It, the sexy costume thing. Okay, what what do I think is the absolute dumbest sexy costume of this year? Because every year there are some pretty bad ones, right? I don't know if this came out this year. I think it did, but that would have to be the Chinese takeout sexy costume. It's pretty bad. Uh, looks like a very small, you know, designed for women, obviously, um, I haven't seen one for men. Maybe one exists. I don't know how it could, because those the men ones are just as bad as the women. Real in some ways, you know, uh, it's very small, like dress kind of thing. Looks like a Chinese food takeout box, uh, and it it comes with a little tiny fortune cookie hat. Yeah, isn't that nice? Um, there's a sexy cutout on the back, on the upper back, and the words above this little cutout say "Take me out." Um, oh boy. Yeah, no, there's nothing demeaning about that costume, is there? I don't know how you feel about it. I'm not, I'm like, I just think, like, dude, it's, you can wear whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not here to talk down to anybody. You can wear that if you want. You can not wear it. I just think, it's like, dude, it's like there's a whole industry of, like, sexy costumes. It's so weird to me. It is really kind of weird to me. Um, yeah. Now, Halloween in my neighborhood, and... It, it's a great excuse for all the old former frat boys to roll around the neighborhood getting shit-faced, woohoo, drunk, like really, really like toting their little, uh, you know, sticker-covered Bud Light cans around or Coors Light around with them. Uh, now, I live in a very, very suburban neighborhood, okay? It's all condos, houses, and families, right? Um, trick-or-treating goes crazy here. Like, we'll get like 200 trick-or-treaters in a night, it goes from like 6 p.m. until around 9 p.m. The little ones first, the older ones last kind of thing. By the end of the night, I'm usually shit-faced. Or, <coughs> <coughs> I'm 
I'm not a frat bro, a former frat bro in any way, shape, or form, though. I just do. I like beer. Uh, yeah, let me give you a story about my neighborhood at Halloween, just to give you an idea kind of what my impression of what Halloween is like today is. Um, we used to, we have a garage right out in front of our house, right, like a lot of people, that opens up into our driveway. And now what we used to do is we'd open the garage door, decorate the crap out of the garage, all Halloween-y stuff, play spooky music. It was pretty cool. It was a lot of work. It'd take me like a week before to get it all decked out. Uh, eventually, I decided I'm just going to leave all the Halloween stuff up because I love it so much, and that's where I am today. But anyways, we'd open the garage door. We'd sit out there, my wife and I usually, or we'd take turns with my kid trick-or-treating kind of thing too. Um, but we'd open the, gro- the garage door, sit out there, drink beer, and pass out candy. Uh, the good time, right? The first year we did that, my son was 10 months old, okay? And this is probably our finest moment dressing up as a family. We dressed up as the Adams family. I was Gomez, my wife was Morticia, and my infant son was Pubert Adams. And we all had like homemade costumes. They, we did a really good job. We went far with this. Look, I had a, I've had a beard for like, I don't know, 13 years or something like that, right? I shaved my beard and I shaved it down to a pencil mustache so I would look more like Gomez Adams. See, I'm telling you, I do love Halloween. That was a big sacrifice for a guy with a beard to, to get rid of the beard. You look like a hairless ape when you're done. You're like, fuck me. That's what my face looks like? Oh, God, beard, grow back, please, quick. Uh, call the Rogaine people. I need help now. But yeah, yeah, that was the sacrifice I was willing to make for Halloween. So uh, so my wife puts our son to bed. He petered out pretty quickly. He was 10 months old. We didn't take him. Oh, we did take him trick-or-treating. Oh, I wonder who ate that candy. Dad. Yeah, that was me. I did. Um, I'm hanging out in the garage. My wife's inside with the kid, and I'm out here drinking, listening to spooky music, I had a little, uh, you know, a little rapier, a little sword that I was swinging around, smoking a cigar, t- really trying to do the part of Gomez Adams. Um, and this little tribe of the real housewives of my neighborhood walked up, and they were all drunk, and they were just all giggling and excited, and oh, they were dressed up like some stupid, sexy thing, and they were kind of ridiculous. And they go, they come up to me. Oh my God! Can we get a picture, please? We want a picture with you. We want. And I was like, Oh, okay, I'm sure. Yeah, like, why do these why do these ladies want a picture with Gomez Adams? Like, dude, these ladies they love the Adams family. That's great. Okay, yeah, come on in, take a picture. All right, great. So they took it. You know, all uh, you know, little peace sign, stuck face thing. God damn. Yeah, that was stupid. Um, and as they walked away, one of them said. Uh, we love your Hugh Hefner costume. I was like, oh, fuck. I'm like, really? I'm goddamn Gomez Adams. I'm not Hugh Hefner. <sighs> yeah, they were, so, well, I was wearing a smoking jacket, but come on. I had like the hair parted down the middle, the little pencil mustache, a sword, a cigar. Dude, what does Hugh Hefner carry a sword? Fuck, I don't think so. You know, come on. Okay. Yeah, anyway. So that's, you know, that, my friends, that's the state of Halloween today. I'm a bunch of drunken, misinformed people. So there you go. Happy Halloween again for like the fifth time I think I've said that. Now, the last thing we're we're going to do before we play the uh, Pussy Cow song, it, do Satanists and witches and people that are into occulty kind of things actually celebrate Halloween in some way, shape, or form? Do they? But like, you know, they always say keep your black cats. If you have a black cat, keep it inside because... 
somebody's going to steal it and sacrifice it. Um, well, a lot of Christian people would have you believe that, especially authors and public speakers and pastors and people that stand to make money on the fact that you might believe their bullshit. Yes, those types of people. Um, you, the tradition of souling goes back to that. I mean, it real that was a bullshit thing. I mean, come on. So the church is out. Hey, kid, you know, go ask them for free food. Say you're going to pray for the souls of their dead family members. Oh, and ask them for money and drop it off at the church on your way home. Would you? Oh, you don't have a home? Well, you can't stay at the church. No, but bring us the money and give us the food they give you too because fuck you. Yeah, that kind of shit. I'm serious too. Christianity has done so much good for people through the years. Uh, I could argue that point all night, So, and we don't have all night. You got to get back to Halloween, and, and so do I. So let's get back to it. Yeah. So the answer is really pretty much kind of no, uh, as far as to you know, like people who are you know into the occult or witches or Satanists or whatever. Actually, like black magic people, do they celebrate Halloween? No, eh, not really. The the these wacky Christian people would have you believe it, but that's just another way for those assholes to make money. So there you go. Um, you know, in fact. Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, he he did claim that Halloween was some kind of weird satanic holy day and needed to be celebrated. But dude, that guy worshipped Satan about as much as my dog does. He was just the opposite side of the same coin as like the preachers and the book writers and all these like gnarly Christian fanatic people who were truly just con men. He was a con man, dude. He was a total con man. I, I know he was. So just read some of the shit that he said. Total con man. So yeah, he dude was a shyster. Um, his whole thing about oh, Satanism is also like free love. Well, yeah, duh. He just wanted to get laid repeatedly by different people. So there you go. You know, con man, definitely. Um, I will say this though, that the religions of Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity all do condemn Halloween and say you shouldn't celebrate it. You know, in a general, generally speaking. Um, based on the fact that it has pagan roots alone, not that it's some gnarly like a cult holiday now, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, those people are all joy killers, uh, and I don't listen to them anyway. So, good. I'm not a fan of any kind of organized religion. I apologize if you are. If you are, fine. Live your life how you want. I don't care. It's fine with me. Just let me celebrate Halloween the way I choose to. Thank you. Okay. Good deal. We're in. You know, the big thing about people thinking that Halloween is actually an occulty holiday, just uh, like I said, it just comes from people trying to stoke other people's fears and make money off of book sales, and that's about it. Google it. If you Google, is Halloween like a satanic holiday, or is Halloween an occult holiday, or is Halloween like a witch's holiday? And the first, like, ten things that all pop up are all from, like, some church or some Christian guy, right? And that's all there is to it. So check it out. Check me, you know, double check, look it up. It happened to me. So, uh, Snope Bob does rate all those claims as false. Patently though, you know, neo-pagans, uh, Wiccans, which are, you know, like more or less witches in some way. Um, they do actually celebrate Sawin or Sawen, some of them, you know, not all, but it is still celebrated, um, as you know, more or less what it was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So there you go. But that's totally another ball game. Nothing, you know, harmful happens on those nights. 
nothing typically bad happens unless if it's some misguided kids or something like that thinking they're being satanic it's all blown out of proportion just like the poison candy thing and all that so there you go and i gotta say i do have a black cat so don't fuck with my cat on halloween my cat you know like if i tried to sacrifice that cat that cat would fuck me up that cat's vicious man like that's one of those cats where you play with it and you walk away bleeding like fuck this god damn like yeah nobody's taking my black cat away from me because she would kill them probably so there you go um yeah, that's about all I got for the uh, Halloween special of the uh, Bobcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I always do. I really learned a lot about the poisoning of the candy and the tampering things. Uh, they're pretty messed up stories. But, like, it's very isolated, not widespread. So don't worry about trick-or-treating. Just really, I mean, still, it's it's a smart thing to do to check what your kid got in its candy bag. If you're a parent like I am, I do. I mean, it's worth it's it's worth looking. You know, obviously, we're here to watch out for them because they're not smart enough yet to do it for themselves. So there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, let's let me just stop talking here in a sec so you can get on with your your Halloween, your trick or treating, your partying in your you know sexy Red Bull can costume or whatever it is you're gonna wear tonight. Um, hopefully Joe Dana, you know, if you're listening and you're out there, I hope you're doing something in some kind of sexy something because you do look good. You are a good looking man. Um, thanks a lot for pussy cow and Joe Dana, especially for letting me use their version of the cramps song, human fly coming right up. Happy Halloween guys. Uh, my, one of my favorite days of the year. And, uh, I really do mean that. Thank you from me, Bob at the, I want to party with Bob podcast and happy Halloween. This next one is for any of you who read any Kafka in at one point. I don't know. I never read it. <laughs> 